0: Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, Oversigning Work, Part 3. Here we go.
1: So now, I'm going to say it again. We expect work to get done In addition to all of the existing work, we've already talked, we want to assign more work and we expect them to get it done. We're not to the point yet where we're saying, okay, there's too much here. We're saying there's more than what you had yesterday, but more is not inherently too much. This is not in the show notes for those of you who are premium content subscribers, but let's be clear. If in fact, a person believes there's busy, then by definition, more is too much. The effective manager says, no, you can be quote too busy or at least busy and I can give you more. And it's not too much because we don't know what too much is yet because we don't know how good your triage is of the various choices you're making. And we don't know if in fact we asked you to do something in three hours. If we asked you to do it in 15 minutes, maybe you could get 95% of it done and we could be, we could have acceptable quality while saving two hours and 45 minutes. This is the heart of what we're talking about when new work becomes a possibility hopefully because you've done some analysis and there's some reasonable value there, the first assumption of an effective manager is that this new work will be added to existing work rather than exchange for any part of the work someone's already doing. Effective managers don't make work a zero-sum game. Rather than assuming that something isn't going to get done, they assume that this new stressor, whatever it is, will lead to efficiencies in existing work. Effective managers see new valuable work as a good thing, leading to improvements not only from that new work output, but also in making existing work more efficient. We get the same output we had before in less time, and we have more new work delivering more value. And you can't do that with the average busyness thinking that most people have. The two most common defenses to this effective manager thinking are overworkness again, busyness, and quality and folks, we will address both of those things here in the, in the last part of this, sh- this show. Now, look, if you have a bit of a callous streak as a manager, and frankly, folks, if you're a high D or a high C, you probably do have a bit of a callous streak. This step where you ask people to get more done. It may sound something like this. Hey, and by the way, we're talking about whether work came from your boss or came from you or came from the direct themselves. It doesn't matter what the source, what the genesis of the work is. All we know now is they have more work to do than they did before. You could say something like, hey, figure it out, but I still expect everything you were already done to still get done. Spend less time on some other stuff that you've been doing for a while. Push yourself and see whether or not you could do stuff in an hour that used to take you, or something in a half
0: an hour that used to take you an hour. It right, doesn't sound too bad. What if you're more uh, more of a humanitarian boss? Are you suggesting that me and you are, are not humanitarian bosses?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, you probably are. Uh, <laughs> it, it might sound like that. I'm okay, not suggesting it. I'm just, yeah. just stating facts. You're <laughs> stating it as a fact. <laughs> it, it might sound like this. Hey, I know this isn't easy, but neither is what we're already doing. I think what we've got here is better work. It's a good idea. I think it'll lead to better value in the long run. And sometimes... I'm the guy who has to push. I know personally I need to push sometimes to go to the next level in terms of productivity. I believe in you. I know you can figure this thing out. Come to me if
0: you need help. Good luck.
1: Don't you agree both those statements are fair and reasonable? They're different tonally,
0: but Yeah, I, I think so. The I also thing. think that some folks aren't gonna necessarily like the tone of those. Even the more really? humanitarian one. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. I, I respect that. I mean Yeah. But are you saying that they're not going to like the tone of them because they want to protect the business? I mean, they 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 don't want to stress people?
0: Yeah, I I think it's about yeah, I think it's just the right. the idea of not wanting to make people feel uncomfortable. I, I you know, that's yeah. that's natural for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I agree. But look, you know what?
1: I'll tell you a story here. I recently got two separate emails that were really relevant I guess to this. One came to me, it was forwarded from a a website. I don't know what the website's called, but it's called Notes from the Universe. I think if you Google that, you'll get to the website. And it said, the reason for all the challenges is so that you can finally learn that none of them are bigger than you.
0: Hmm. Right? That's true. It's been true in my life.
1: Yeah. I I got an email shared to me from a direct to a boss. And it quoted, a, 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 I think, a recent, but it may not have been a recent, Seth Godin blog post. For those of you who don't know, Seth Godin is a a modern uh, marketing maven and you know, very into new media. Um, not that that's all that important. He has great ideas about marketing and about, uh, particularly in the technology space as well, and product spaces as well. If you've ever heard of something called Purple Cow, I think that's uh, Seth Godin's. It is. Um, and, and the blog post said this, who is making you uncomfortable? Who looks you in the eye and says, given your skills, you could do better? Who says to you, you have enough leverage to really make a difference? Who says to you, what would happen if you doubled the amount you donated? Who's the person who says, could you set aside the fear and go faster? Who's the person around you who says, I know you're holding back? It takes love and kindness and confidence to bring the truth to a friend you care about if you're insulating yourself from these conversations, who benefits? And the direct went on to say to the boss, thank you for being this person for me. And I would even argue you could extrapolate that. And you could say, when a customer says to a company, I want product X or product Y, that's the customer saying, I like what you do for me now. And I would like for you to do more because I trust the quality. I trust the pricing. I believe in the value. And so I want you to be the one that delivers more to me. Now, obviously, there are some people who say, well, you ought to be doing this for me and so on. But there are people that share the idea of you can stretch yourself and it's done with professional love. And I think that's what great managers do. They professionally love their folks enough to say, I believe there's more in you. You may be tired when you get done working for me, but it'll be a good tired, the kind of tired that says, yes. I feel great. I
0: won. Yeah. Well, going back to my story about Louise. I mean, I love Louise not because she made me comfortable, but because she made me who I am today, or at least partially, by pushing me, by demanding the most from me.
1: Yeah. You you felt uncomfortable, but you didn't think her job. You didn't think she went around trying to make you uncomfortable. No.
0: She went around trying to make you productive, and sometimes that meant you were uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, there there are days I thought she wanted to make me uncomfortable. (laughs) But the but the fact of the matter is that that that's not true. She ju- she knew her responsibility as a manager, and she pushed yeah. me. Yeah, and she knew better what I could do than I did. Yeah, and I, I can tell you something, folks. I ran into
1: a good friend of mine recently, Dave Hernandez, who's a fairly senior uh, executive sales manager for a division of Johnson and Johnson. Dave's been doing this for twenty twenty five years. Just a really classy person, and we talked about Johnson and Johnson and. You know, the fact is, the Johnson and Johnsons, the Procter and Gamble's, the WalMarts of the world, that have grown and done so over a long period of time, uh, the SC Johnson Company, um, you know, the Coca Colas of the world, and so on, the ones that have been around a long time. You don't go there to be comfortable. They ask a lot of their people, and you can be family friendly, and socially respectable, and a good corporate citizen. And ask a lot of your people. Don't get confused that those things are antithetical to one another because they're not. Our job is to get the most from our folks, not to satisfy your our directs need for a balanced workload. Now, look, this is not a license to enslave your folks. It's not. Managers are responsible for both results and retention. okay? You've got to retain them. You can, we're not suggesting you just crack the whip and drop work on them indiscriminately. But we at Manager Tools are willing to stand up for the manager who gets more out of his directs that they didn't know they had, and we're willing to stand up for the manager who doesn't accept the status quo because everybody's busy and that's all that can be done. Exactly. Somebody's got to make us better.
0: Okay, so you said earlier, we we acknowledge that stuff is going to be left on the floor. We we use the term delegated to the floor. Some stuff, some work is not going to get done. So what's what's the manager's role in helping that along the prioritization process. Okay, so new work comes in. The first thing is try to figure out how to
1: do it. If it's too big, right, and it can't get done, hopefully you can shrink down some of those other things. But if you can't, then what you do is you delegate. If you have nobody to delegate to, then you're, what you're talking about is delegating to the floor. But if, but if you're delegating to a manager, if I'm a director and I delegate to a manager, then I expect them to delegate to their
0: individual contributors. Yeah, yeah good point, good point.
1: You're talking about individual contributors, right? That's right. Somebody who says, you know, there's too much to do. It's all hypothetically valuable. What do I, you know, what do I not do? And the fact is, you've got to collaborate a little bit with them. Not, not, maybe not the way people think of collaboration. I want to characterize that more precisely in a minute. But look, if in fact everybody's busy and they feel busy and anxious about being busy, One of the things we can do with that energy, which is not helpful, we can turn it into something that's helpful and we can help that energy be directed toward choosing what of their work is the most valuable because that's an important professional skill. Triaging the 21 things you have to do when in fact you really think you can only get 15 or 16 done is a valuable triage, a valuable professional skill. And what you do is you agree to sit down with them after they've done a manager tools productivity review and blast whatever it is they've done. And that is collaboration, folks. You don't have to sit down and do the, the, the productivity review with them. You can expect them to do it because they're the ones that do the work and they're the ones that know the ins and outs of it, okay? And yes, for those of you who are wondering, there's not a previous cast on the Manager Jules Productivity Review, but there are probably 10 more casts to come out of this one. Uh, as I said before, otherwise, if we put all those ideas in here, it'd be hours and hours and hours, but we will do a cast about the Manager Jules Productivity Review. We've alluded to it with some of the stuff about Drucker and time management, but nevertheless, basically what you ask them to do is list their responsibilities and the time they think they spend on them. And probably what you're going to see is all kinds of opportunity for them to, to achieve efficiencies. I'm talking all kinds all kinds of efficiencies. We recommend that before you start asking them to delegate work to their team or to their floor if they're an individual contributor, we recommend they, they cut the time they spend on various activities. It might sound like this. You spend two hours a week on this? I'll tell you what. This week, spend one hour on that, only one. Push to get it done in one hour, Horseman's Corollary to Parkinson's Law. No matter how hard it is, get it done in an hour. And if quality doesn't stay perfect, let's talk about the quality after you've spent an hour on it. Just try to compress that work. And then you'll be able to say to them, use that hour you've saved to start on this work that's new, whether it came from them or your boss or from you. And folks, we we suspect here, Mike and I suspect, there won't be only one hour to be saved. Five is more like it. Five hours looking at all their work. And 10, yes, 10 hours a week is absolutely possible because no probably all probably all their previous managers have never done this kind of compression work, this
0: kind of productivity analysis. Right. Okay. So what if uh, we've done all that and still it all can't be done? What then? Okay. But let's let's be more clear.
1: We don't. We're not gonna just going to throw up our hands and say it can't be done. We say, okay, you can't meet your time standards. standards. You can't meet your quality standards. Right. Right. That's exactly. what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then of course it's time to agree. Now, remember, we're not saying that we're going to negotiate with them. We're going to talk to them, but the manager is the one that gets to decide. It's time to agree on what gets dropped if they're an individual contributor, right? Or what gets delegated down to the floor if they're an individual contributor. Or if they can't get it all done, what gets delegated to the floor? I'm sorry, what gets delegated to their team if they're a manager? And and look, this is the classic juggling koan guidance we've referred to So many times, they don't stop doing things, they don't protect their team. If they're a manager, they delegate. It's really kind of as simple as that. And if they're an individual contributor, you look at the list and you say, Okay, you're not going to do these things. Simple as that. I mean, that's really what you do. And that leads us to our next point, which is when work is not getting done, work that previously was done, there's risk. (laughs) There's risk. Yeah. Yeah. We've said it a few times. We've joked about it. And every once in a while, people ping me about it and say I'm not being nice. But let's be clear. This is not risk-free manager tools. If you want risk-free growth and development, please let me know when you find it. No pain, all gain. I don't. I mean, there may be a program like that, but I don't know about it.
0: Yeah. And folks, this is where it's good to be a manager because, you know, you always have the end of the year review to take care of it.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, those are the kind of that'll get you in trouble, dude. So look, whether we're creating the work or not, the basic principle of providing air cover to our directs when we tell them, "Yeah, I agree, this is the stuff that's least valuable. Don't do that anymore." If you've got an individual contributor, he can't delegate, and some task may and it doesn't end up getting done. Rather than than telling him, "Oh, everything has to get done," you just have to be miserable, and 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 you know, we assume that everything has relative value, and the lowest value stuff not being done is the smartest decision we can make. In other words, if if there's too much work to do and it's our last option to have to choose what not to be done, then the smartest decision we can make is to make sure that the stuff that is not getting done is the lowest value stuff. And then we tell them, okay, I agree. Don't do this stuff. If someone nags you about it, tell them we decided not to have it done, you and me. And if they still want it done, have them come see me because I have more power than you and I may be able to convince them they can't have it. Or it may be that we delegate five things to the floor. You're not going to have to do them, but only one of them comes back to bite us. But if it comes back to bite us in six months, you will have already gotten better at all the things you're doing and you'll probably have enough time to add it back into your basket and it won't be the end of the world.
0: So yeah, there is a risk. Yeah, but help me here. I, I understand there's a risk. And I think you said earlier, we're going to push stuff down. We're going to delegate more work. We're going to assign more work tasks. And we're going to hold people accountable for getting it done. Yet, some of it's not going to get done. So that stuff that doesn't get done, we don't hold them accountable. You said give them air cover, but are we still holding them accountable? What's the distinction between that which we oh. provide air cover for versus that that we're going to hold them accountable for?
1: Oh, no, I'm not going to hold him
0: accountable for stuff that we've agreed he's not going to do. Okay, no, and that's the difference. Not. That's the difference. The stuff that you're providing air cover for. Now, look, like if you're a good manager, you're going to provide air cover to your folks anyways, right? Externally. Right. But the difference is when you jointly made the decision, the manager said, you say you can't do this. I agree. You can't do it. I'm not going to right. hold you accountable for it. But if, right. but until that conversation, they're held accountable for yeah. everything they got on their plate, right? Yeah, Regardless absolutely. of whether you're pushing stuff hard or not. I even had a guy, oh, it's
1: been several, several years ago at IBM. I want to say it was in North Carolina, told me once, I use this as a lollipop at the end of the rainbow. I say, we're going to walk through this entire process of, I'm going to give you more work the right work, and we're going to push stuff out. But at the very end, if there's stuff you can't do, we're going to agree on what that is, and stuff that we agree on, you don't have to do, and I'll defend you not doing it. Good. And okay. suddenly, his directs kind of got more motivated about this. Now, as it turned out, there wasn't that much stuff he wasn't going to expect him to do. And frankly, some of the stuff that they were doing was reports and stuff. As you've told the story at conferences about five of your people um, years ago doing a report that nobody read. I suppose there is the possibility that one of your directs loves doing something that delivers no value. Right? And they're going to say, I, don't, I really want to do that. And you look at them and you say, I don't pay you to do the things you want to do. Right. I pay you to do the things that deliver value for the organization. And if you love this job, and I sound like you do, then that's one thing that you may love to do, but you're not going to get to
0: do. Yeah. I hope you like the, I hope you love the other 95% of your job because that 5%. Yeah. We're not yeah, doing but that look, anymore. Yeah. It's not my, well, I, in my head, I'm thinking it's not my job
1: to make him happy. Yeah, exactly. It's not.
0: Good. So earlier you said you were going to share some of the reasons why over and over although uncomfortable for a lot of people are so important. Yeah. My tendency, of course, is to put all the whys up front, but I know people
1: want to get right to the activity first. And we already had a good bit of whys up front on this one. So I just want to cover a couple of things that people push back on. The first one is really related to Parkinson's law. Um, and it's Horseman's corollary to Parkinson's law, which is, which really work can actually contract rather than expand. Parkinson's law says work expands so as to fill the time allotted for its completion. You know, it's a cynical comment, but if you're given an hour to do one thing, it'll take you that hour to do it, okay? It's a widely quoted thing. It's like the Peter Principle. You know, people get promoted to their level of incompetence. But really, there's a bright side to this. People admit, you know, people talk cynically about organizational life, and, and it's true. Parkinson's law, in my opinion, is true. But there's a way to address it that everybody acts as if Parkinson's law is unavoidable when in fact, effective management simply says, yeah, that's what I, I know Parkinson's law exists and it's my job to keep it from actually happening and I can make it not a problem. I can make it go away. And so that's where we get to Horsemans' Corollary to Parkinson's law, which is work contracts drastically when it is constrained by other work and time demands. Horsemans' Corollary is part of the reason why we say deadlines, why we remind people that deadlines drive behavior. The effective manager knows she's not unpowerful against Parkinson's law. It's not Murphy's law. It's Parkinson's law. So it's not always true. You can can change the equation. It's like Parkinson's law is not the Kobayashi Maru and the effective manager can beat Kobayashi Maru if you want to. What she does, if you're an effective manager, is you add more work, you add deadlines, and you ensure the right work gets done as fast as it can get done within reason. Cynicism is just not something, it's not the milieu of the effective manager. The effective manager says, no, I I know cynicism is funny sometimes, it's kind of a dark humor, but, but I can address that. I don't want my directs filling up their time with work. I want them doing the right work. And yeah, I'm going to fill up their time, but let's fill it up with the right work. And maybe if one task takes an hour, maybe what we ought to do is see if it can take up a half an hour. Let's see if it can take up 15 minutes. Let's see if it can take up 10 minutes. And at some point, let's see if we can automate the darn thing. And then we get that hour back. But Parkinson's law is a function, it is really just a function of the rule that everything decays. Margins decay, relationships decay, processes decay, right? Outputs decay it's just a function of entropy, right? Everything gradually goes toward uh the lowest level of energy. And effective managers inject energy into the situa- situation and say, if one thing is taking you an hour, I'm going to give you two things and you can spend a half an hour on both of them. If the first thing you were working on, the quality doesn't suffer and you're now doing it in half an hour, that's twice the productivity on that one pro- on that one thing. And now we have a free half hour that we can make productive. And look, if you believe Parkinson and you don't believe Horstman's Corollary, which essentially follows from it, whether you like it or not, the right work might be being done in your organization, but in such a way terribly inefficiently, so that productivity is miserable. And so your competitors can beat you. So you don't want to be, you don't want to believe Parkinson. You want to address it by adding more work.
0: Good. Well, when's the last time you left your office with everything done, nothing on your desk to do?
1: Oh, Man, I, ever? I'm pretty sure I was in the th- third grade. I'm <laughs> pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe. yeah. Yeah. Look, we hear this all the time, right? People are busy. We, how much of the cast has been about busyness? Everyone tells us they go home with work undone. So look, folks, if there's always work, all, if there's always, always, always going to be work undone, isn't the real genius of work figuring out which work is best left undone? And then conversely, by, by that definition, you would have then figured out what work is best being done. And we've got to learn how to make that choice between the best work and the worst work and then do it way better than we all do it now. And the point of that is, if you follow the cor- horseman's corollary to the Parkinson's law, if we don't over-assign work, then the wrong work is going to be being done. And that's bad for productivity as well. And then the third thing I mentioned is quality, right? People say, there are so many managers in the world that say, Mark, I can't delegate because quality is going to suffer. Right. Well, yeah, folks, it will suffer initially. It will, okay? And probably quality will suffer, but it'll still be within the range of variance that's tolerable or quality will be outside the range of variance, but you'll get involved taking less time than you did before. And at some point, it'll come back up to the level that was absolutely reasonable. Those of you who pride yourself on high quality standards, good. We're all for that. We respect that for you, this cast was hard to listen to. Quality is often going to drop when you first delegate, when you first assign, when you first stress the system by adding more work, okay? But that's a f- poor reason to not focus on productivity. I just read something on, on life hack. I, I think it was there. It, it may have been 43 folders, which basically saying maybe perfection is a bad standard to shoot for or being a perfectionist a bad way to go through life. Quality declines in situations where you're delegating uh, or you're compressing work with time are almost always transient, once the direct that you've assigned more work to learns new ways to save her time, quality comes back up. Once a direct learns the tricks and the ins and outs of the task that you've taken for granted because you're at unconscious competence now, but he is just now at conscious competence, quality again comes back up. Think of it this way. I mentioned this before. I think if you can't tolerate any drop in quality, then you yourself can never do anything new for fear that over time, you're going to improve your own quality, right? If quality drops are unacceptable, then quality improvements are bad, Hmm. right? By this, by this standard, nothing new would ever get done. If you look at the first car that was produced, the first iPod, the first book, the first house, the first window, I wouldn't buy any of those products today, Because today, their quality is bad. But when they came out, they were revolutionary. So it's okay to drop a quality standard. And and frankly, I know that people are saying, well, I wouldn't want a first window now. You're right. I agree with you. But it was okay the first time it came out. And we suspect that your standard of quality, again, unless you're making chipsets or something like that in a chip fab somewhere in Freising, Germany or something like that, you can probably tolerate some transient drop in quality for the productivity improvements that occur. Look folks, if quality can't drop innovation in your firm dies, if perfection is the only standard and you believe that the way you do it is perfection, you're wrong. You're just plain wrong. You're human. And what you do is not perfect. And you may in fact be hiding something from the organization, which is one of your people is naturally gifted at this thing that you take two hours to do each week and he can do it in 12 minutes. Right. When we first started doing cast, right? I, I said, I'll have to write all the casts, And what do we discover? Wendy now writes ha- all the career tools casts. And when I first delegated, they were different. They were not as good. And now they're every bit as good, if not better. People don't even know that I, that I am not the one writing them. Right. She's exactly. better at writing them than
0: I am. Yeah. And it's a fault. Like, your perfection is a false a false standard because I found exactly. when I delegate something, yep. like I hire smart people. And generally within a couple of months, they're doing it better than I ever could have. And so what? So yeah. So I guess I was crap before, right?
1: No, you weren't crap before. You were just wrong about the the transient quality dip and the long-term value of productivity of you and them, right? Because you free up
0: time. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, that was long, dude. I'm sorry. Hey, it's good stuff. This is important stuff. This is a big piece of what, what effective managers do. So yeah, yeah it's wrong, right. but that's it's right. important.
1: Yeah. So what do they do? First of all, they're not afraid to assign more work, even to those people who say they're busy. Ugh. This is the anti-business cast, folks. It's the Drucker productivity cast and the anti-business cast. We talked about what to do and how to do it, delegating more assertively, assigning work, even if people say they shouldn't, they're, they're too busy. And you can expect things to get done, even in addition to existing work. You can collaborate on prioritization, choosing which work to do, and you can give people air cover when, when there's some risk involved. And we ended with talking about Horseman's Corollary and the undone work in the world and quality taking a dip for a short period is probably okay. And, There's a lot to talk about here, and there's some stress involved here, and it may feel harsh to you. Uh, Some of you may not yet be ready to do this, but believe it or not, your directs are much more willing to accept it and step up than you may be willing to do it. Think about productivity, which is really energy applied to contributing to effective outcomes, and then think about busyness. Stop letting busyness get in the way of
0: productivity because that's what you're responsible for, productivity. Excellent. Thanks, my friend. I enjoyed that. Thanks, partner. All right. We'll see you later. (music) Thanks, everyone. That's it for this series. We'll see you again back here next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.